Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the NBA Morning Deuce for Monday, March 29th. Trade deadline is now three or four days past, but the buyout market is buzzing. Does it matter? I don't know. I'm bringing on probably the perfect guy to explain to us whether it matters. Alex still out. He's back tomorrow. But today I told you on Friday, CBS sports NBA legend. He's at outside the NBA. James Herbert joining the show. Legend. He, 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 his reaction to me calling him a legend. Mm-hmm. You should have seen it. If this was on video, you would have loved it. James, what's up, dude? What's happening? I'm just basking in this Aaron Gordon has new life afterglow. So I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, it's a, it's, it is fun to watch. We are, we're going to dive into the Aaron Gordon first game with the Denver Nuggets. Not a big slate, actually only four games tonight. We're not going to even, we're not even going to talk about the Lakers magic game. Cause honestly, who gives a shit about that one at this point till, till there's a LeBron or an Anthony Davis or not a G league team in Orlando for the rest of the season. I'm not really going to dive too deep into those teams, uh, but we will get into Denver. We'll get into the other games, but I want to start with these buyout guys. So I guess we do kind of have to talk about the Lakers because the biggest, the biggest buyout name it's the, there's this thing, James, and you've, I'm, I mean, you've been covering the NBA for a long time, so you see it every year and everybody sees it, but the trade deadline passes teams or fans in particular, sometimes teams, local media that cover teams are like, all right, we didn't get this big man or we didn't get this guy. We didn't get the guy we thought. So who's going to be in the buyout market. And then it becomes almost, it, 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 it takes over the news cycle almost as much as the trade deadline did for guys that were like, I don't know, maybe they can be effective, maybe not. 
And the big names, well, the biggest name this time around was Andre Drummond, who now is a member of the Los Angeles Lakers and seemingly is going to step right in as their starting center, it looks like. Any thought? What are your thoughts on Drummond to Los Angeles? I mean, I I don't think he should step in as their starting center. He probably will, but I don't like it. Um, It's If they're going to have this platoon system that's just kind of like depending on the matchup and who is feeling particularly healthy and who they're playing against and whatever they think is necessary. Like it's fine. Like I I think them having these different sort of options at center is not inherently a bad thing. You want to be able to play multiple different ways. I happen to think that the best way for them to play is when they're fully healthy is likely the same thing we saw last year, which is AD at the five. And then the second best way for them to play is Marcus Gasol with AD because Marcus Gasol changes the geometry of the court. He's the, the best passing big man they've obviously had. He can actually space the floor. He's a very good defensive center. Still, I know that people hate that he doesn't move laterally like he used to, even though, honestly, he didn't used to move that well laterally either yeah. um, when he was the defensive player of the year. Like, he's still an elite defender to me, um, and he's still their kind of best option most of the time if you want to have a guy next to ad so to have all of these different dudes there like in this period of time where like they don't have ad and they don't have lebron i feel like just adding talent is probably good they they can run some stuff sort of through drummond he's a pretty good passer he's not a marcus all level passer but he's a pretty good passer um he's an enormous dude who like he's not like an incredible screen setter, but he's just big. So he sets decent screens. He grabs offensive boards. um, And he's just like a physical presence in a way that Mark isn't at this stage of his career in a way that like Montrez is an intense physical guy, but he's also like, he's really like six, seven, like, so, so that gives them something different. Um, And he came at the right price because he's essentially free. Right. Uh, It's just, I don't know what they promised him. I don't know what he is expecting. I don't know how the other bigs on the roster feel about it and how the stars on the roster feel about it in terms of what they want the Lakers to do when it's actually like winning time. Um, But like, those are what is going to like, those are the answers to those questions. What is going to make or break this to me? Because if, if there, if this is a, harmonious thing and everybody's having a good time and Drummond isn't that concerned about how many minutes or touches he gets and we're still seeing Mark when it makes sense to and we're still seeing a healthy amount of AD at the five when AD is himself healthy then cool great the rich get a little bit richer it's not a huge swing variable but they have another option at five and they just kind of need more bodies um so that that's cool but if it ends up being this weird thing where after every playoff game everybody's writing articles about frank vogel's rotation and what are they going to do and Mm -hmm. here's drummond getting targeted this way and here he is like you know like trying to do too much on offense because he is used to doing a lot and right now he should probably do almost nothing um then we have a totally different kind of thing on our hands do you i know i like obviously you're not in the building but when you from seeing what you've seen of the lakers this year and given with the injuries do you see this as a band-aid 
like we don't know, like we, we need more, we need to boost our roster so that we can rest AD and LeBron as much as we need to, particularly AD till he comes back. Or is it maybe that they don't necessarily think they're getting what they thought they'd get out of Trez and Marcus all, and they needed a boost at that position. Like, obviously I know how you feel about Mark and Trez, but is it potent? Is there a potential that they're not seeing what they thought they'd see? Even though it looks, seems like even though Trez has got knocked a little bit this year, I think his numbers are just as good, if not better. His than numbers are good. I mean, were. Mark was out for a while and he is sick. Um, yeah. And his whole family was sick. It sucks. Um, so, I mean, you can nitpick either of those guys. I think big picture, like, you know, when I've seen Mark on the court with LeBron um, and I've seen the connection those two guys have and I've seen the passes Mark has thrown, like I, that's who I thought they were going to get. Um, when I've seen Montrez on the second unit, like, you know, gobbling up points in the paint, like that's who I thought they were going to get. Um, from the start of it, when it happened, I thought Mark was a much better fit and like addressed more of what the team needed than Montrez did. And I still am like a little bit iffy on the Montrez fit with like, just with how the rest of this roster is structured. Um, it's a roster that already has spacing issues. It's a roster that didn't really need a, a like center who wants touches on the block necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just like, I, I still don't, I still like think that, of those two guys, Mark made the more sense to me. And Drummond is just sort of like a larger version of Montrez kind of, yeah. right? Like, like he hurts the spacing. The spacing's already not great. Um, he is not a guy that you want, like, you know, switching onto smaller guys or like defending in space or anything. Like, I mean, he can make plays defensively. Like he's got very good hands. He gets a lot of steals. He gets a lot of deflections. He's a solid he, passer. He gets some blocks. Yes. Um, but it's like, he's also not like, there's a reason why nobody wanted to trade for this contract. There's a reason why a year ago, this contract was essentially dumped. Like when he was an all-star a few years ago, it was a very different player. He was one of the best athletes in the NBA. He was a vertical spacer. You you could switch him onto smaller guys and he'd move his feet. Um, he wasn't like a dominant interior presence. That's part of why the Pistons defense was never as good as you wanted it to be. Um, but I think he was better then than he is now. And certainly offensively, he was better then than he is now. And more of a guy that you had to account, account for when he was rolling toward the rim. Like he's just not a very good finisher anymore. I think pe- people maybe look at, Andre Drummond and they think, oh my God, LeBron's going to have this great pick and roll partner. Like, no, I, I think like Montrez is still a far better pick and roll partner and far better finisher than Drummond is like, this, this is just, this is not the Drummond that made an all-star team. It's, it's, it's not. I, I do wonder. And like, it's interesting. Cause I was going to sort of ask like, you know, Drummond's a po- very polarizing player at this point because he does still average a double, double. He, he's near the top of the league and rebounding every year. And so some people love him. Some people say, like, you know, he's just not the same player he was and not the numbers are deceiving. And I do wonder, it seems like the trend now in the NBA is if you just, if you don't want to be somewhere, just don't play as well as you can. So I do wonder if there's a part of him that will get back a little bit of what he had a couple of years ago, being in a situation that he wants to be in. I mean, I could see him playing like, okay, so right at the beginning of the year, the first like few weeks like Cleveland was this like sort of 
I don't want to say success story, but like they were like a, a surprising team. They had really good defensive numbers. Some of that was luck, just teams missing threes and whatever. But some of it was like they were playing like pretty good defense. Larry Nance, this is before Larry Nance got hurt. Larry Nance was just all over the place. They were forcing a lot of turnovers. They were just kind of wreaking havoc. And Drummond, I think, was a part of that. I think Drummond was playing with a lot of energy. I think he was extremely active. Um, and that's the version of Drummond that you want. And I think they could totally get that guy. That guy is like a like helpful NBA player. And it, it my only thing is like that guy is still not who he was a few years ago. And it is not necessarily the kind of helpful NBA player that is like a that fills a, a glaring need on this basketball team. That that is mm-hmm. that is my issue. Like right. if they had gone and signed, I mean, if they had signed Aldridge, if they had signed Gorgie Jang, like these other buyout guys that were available. I would have at least been like, okay, like that gives him a different look. Like Aldridge is a pick and pop big. Like um, he has showed this year in San Antonio that he was willing to adjust to a completely different role. They took away his post-ups They They had him actually space out to the three point line, which he started doing last year around mid season. He started shooting threes, but he was like purely a stretch five. Now um, Gorgie Jang is essentially purely a stretch five on on offense now as well. And it's like that would have given them like a different kind of option. Drummond is like a slightly different kind of option, but it is not really like so different that I think it changes this team's ceiling in a significant or meaningful way. And frankly, I think it just could make things weird. Like they, they, like, yeah. they Especially had more, pretty I think good more chemistry so Trez, last year. I think more so with Trez than anybody. Uh, with that, with Trez, Mark, with yeah. Mark, with, I mean, it's just, it's the whole thing. I mean, they, they've played minutes with Markeith Morris at five. They've like, obviously AD at five is what we all expect to see when it, when it really matters. And, mm-hmm. you know, these, all of these guys, like they came to Los Angeles with the expectation that they would sacrifice because they were like, I want to ring. Like Mark didn't go there because he wanted to play a million minutes. Montrez didn't um, go there because he wanted to take, wanted to get a million touches in minutes. Like both those guys sacrifice money. They sacrifice touches. Um, but I think they thought they were sacrificing a certain amount of minutes and touches and whatever. And they didn't anticipate the Lakers going and adding Andre Drummond to that mix as well. And now he is also, he's coming there on a minimum contract. He was just bought out. He could have chosen different situations where he had less of a chance of winning a title, but he had more of a chance of playing a bigger role. And he chose this one. So you would think they would all be like motivated to, you know, sacrifice and get along and make things work. It's just, it's easy to say that now. It's harder to say that if you're getting a DNP in a playoff game. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it fits. I mean, at least until AD comes back, there'll be enough touches and minutes for everybody because they just have to not – they have to, like, stop the, the bleeding, so to speak, until that mm-hmm. all happens. You mentioned – obviously, you mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge to the Nets and Gorgie Jang going to the Spurs. Uh, so, LaMarcus Aldridge was – I mean, people were just losing their minds over LaMarcus Aldridge going to the Nets because – the Nets just get another player. I could see a scenario with LaMarcus Aldridge on the Nets where he just doesn't play for stretches. Like I, I know he's good, but 
he's a five, like you said, he's a five at this point. And I don't think he's going to play over DeMar or DeAndre Jordan, even though DeAndre Jordan probably shouldn't be playing a ton of minutes, but also he shouldn't be playing over Nicholas Claxton, who is playing really well for them this year. And I think Blake actually looks pretty good with the Nets. So I just, I think there's going to be situations when they're fully healthy where the Marcus Aldridge doesn't even play for this team. And people are freaking out. Like, I can't believe the Nets got another player. That's, I mean, if he would have gone to Boston or Miami or somewhere that needed some depth at the five and another stretch went big, I mean, it would have made more sense. Brooklyn, I think it's a legit ring chase for him because he really, I mean, it's not that he doesn't fit. He fits kind of anywhere because of his skill set, but they didn't need him. At least well, in my, in my, from my perspective. And they didn't, uh, I mean, depends how you define need. Like, I don't think, no, I don't think they needed him. I don't think the Lakers needed Drummond. That's I think fair. it's just, it's just like the guy is there and he wants to come and he wants to come on a minimum and the, the guys on the team apparently want him. So why not? Like it's an mm-hmm. insurance policy. If somebody else gets injured, uh, it's another look like it's another way to play. The Nets can play any way they want. They can be as big as they want. They can be as small as they want. They can be as stretchy as they want. They can be as switchy as they want. They have every option that you could possibly need to get through a playoff series. And that, that is what I do like about it. What I don't like about it is, I mean, it's going to be hard to talk about this without repeating what I said about the Lakers, but it's, it's like, once you get into a playoff series and you have a bunch of, you know, prideful former all-stars, um, which like they have three of those and DeAndre, LaMarcus and Blake. Yeah. Um, and, and then you have uh, a Jeff Green, who, by the way, has been like mostly shooting the absolute lights out for the Nets this year and switching well, playing the exact same role that he played in Houston, just a perfect signing for what they need. And then, oh, by the way, you have this kid, and Nicholas Claxton, who, like, every nerd I know is equally obsessed with because he is as excited as Bam Adebayo is to switch onto guards on the perimeter and stay with them. Uh, he runs the floor super hard. He is a vertical spacing threat. Uh, he, I mean, he shoots, like, 80% from the – I don't know what his actual stats are, but it, he subsists on a diet of dunks, layups, and, like, that's it. And then – He's, Deon- he's what DeAndre. He's a, then, he's a he's a he's DeAndre Jordan, but he's able to switch. What DeAndre Jordan and then, was, and then the, the switching the switching is like quite literally a game changer. That you can do that with somebody who is that big, um, and he is active. He makes plays. He has energy. He he is just like such a like just in terms of like what this roster is and what its holes are. Like you want guys like that. You want lo- low usage guys who can just do all of the stuff that like James Harden and Kyrie Irving don't want to do and finish plays and just really fit into the switching scheme because they've been building the switching defense all year long. Um, so you have all these dudes, you have to figure out like not only what is your sort of base of like, what's our normal rotation going to look like is like, once you're in a playoff series, you have to figure out how you're going to adjust, who's going to play against different kinds of lineups, who's going to play against different kinds of teams. Like they, they just, they don't have that much time to sort out everybody like getting chemistry with each other. Durant still isn't back. Um, it's, it's really funny if you go back and look at like 
what the talking points were when the Harden trade happened because they just lost Jared Allen. And everybody's sitting here talking about like, how could they let this guy go? They have this massive hole in the front court. You're going to, they really believe in this Reggie Perry guy, like this rookie, they're high on him. Now he's going to have to play. And like now they like Claxton is back and awesome. They have Blake, they have Aldridge. Reggie Perry is on the team and completely forgotten about. I forgot um, about him. So you just and, said it. And I have really no clue what this rotation is going to look like and if you would ask me around then I would have said it seems like there's sort of standard thing they're going to close games with like Jeff Green of the five um and now I don't know maybe it should be Claxton I'm they're going to let Aldridge and Griffin have their opportunities like I, I think Blake has been pretty good Blake is a guy that can help them especially when the opposing team is switching which is by the way a good thing to do generally against a team like this Mm -hmm. um, is to just try to switch everything. And Blake is a counter to that. And Aldridge is also a counter to that. Um, And Aldridge gives them a pick and pop guy. Blake is sort of a pick and pop guy. He's like more of like a short role playmaker to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So Aldridge is a different kind of look. And and he's, he is a, a stretch five that gives you more size than Jeff green. So in that way, he has something different. Um, And I think a more significant difference from what they currently have than I would say Drummond is. Um, but I would also say that they went into this with an even bigger log jam um, than the Lakers did. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Um, and then as far as the other guy, I mean, we meant, mentioned Gor- Jang, Gorgie, Georgie, Dang, Jang, Gorgie, Jang. Gorgie, Jang. Gorgie, Jang. Um, the only thing that's interesting about him going to the Spurs is that ever, any, any like legit contender probably would have taken him this year. I mean, obviously the Lakers got their guy and the Nets got their guy, but any other team considered uh, a contender, like at least with a chance to win their conference probably would have taken him. So it's interesting that he went to the Spurs, I guess maybe because he sees Aldridge being gone and thinks he's going to go in and get minutes. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think they probably would have said like, you will be like you and Pirtle will pretty much split the center position for us. And I think just basketball wise, it's an awesome fit because the Spurs are just their entire roster is pretty much like athletic dudes who slash and want to drive and kick at this point. Mm-hmm. So Gorgie Jang is a stretch five that like you kick to him and he'll knock down the shot. And like, that's what they lost with LaMarcus and Gorgie is somebody that will be happier to play that role. And that, that makes sense to me, even if like probably we're both thinking the same thing, like when this happens, like, Oh, like, not not Philly, who like doesn't have a stretch five to play with Ben Simmons when Embiid is on the bench. Like, not any of these contending teams where uh, he might make sense. Like Miami, Boston. I mean, any any team that needs a backup or even a spot starter at the five when when necessary. Um, sure. Yeah, any of those. I mean, the Clippers, right? Clippers could Clippers could use them too. I mean, I think any of the any of the contending teams probably could have so yeah it was weird um any other guys out there that you think in the that you've seen or think in the you know in the coming week or weeks that could make an potentially make an impact that could get bought out i mean i i I haven't really seen a ton but i mean i mean okay so like four years ago i wrote this article it was like the history of buyout guys i think i called it like the long sad history of the buyout market and like the the thesis of the story was basically every year we make a big deal out of this and 
occasionally, whether you're talking PJ Brown uh, and the Celtics win the, the 2008 title, they, they drag him out of retirement to play for the team and he makes a huge shot and he's a hero. Um, that, that can happen. Last year, Markeith Morris helped the Lakers win a title. He played meaningful minutes, made meaningful shots, made meaningful defensive plays, and, and they won the title. But that is like, like extremely rare. We, there are a bunch of these every year. Most of the time, it doesn't work out. Most of the time, it's guys who used to be a lot better than they were. Sometimes it causes like chemistry problems and weird issues where they're taking minutes that used to go to young guys. It, sometimes it creates log jams and then it's awkward for the coach because this guy's a big name. I think the most famous example of that is when Andrew Bynum shows up on the Pacers and that destroys Roy Hibbert. And that team still ends up winning 56 games in the regular season, but it should have won 60 plus and it should have just had a better vibe going into the playoffs. Um, but it was kind of a nightmare. Um, so that is kind of like every, every time we get to this time of year, I, I think about pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. All of those things that have gone wrong. Um, and I don't allow myself to get that excited, though, of course, I can, like the rest of us, talk yourselves into, ooh, Gorgie Jang on the Sixers. That would be nice. Um, so I don't know. I, I There's not a lot of dudes. Like if Kelly Olynyk were bought out, I think he could help some teams, but I it doesn't seem like he's getting bought out. If Mike Mascala would, were to be bought out, then I think like there are a few teams that just need a large man who can make threes and he he's can not playing be that. tomorrow night. He's not playing. He can, he's sitting he can, with a foot thing. He a can be that injury. large man. Sure. But like the thunder don't buy guys out. I know. Like they just don't. So well, we're going to get to that because that is something I want to hear about. I want the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts talk to you about actually what you were just describing with the Bynum going to Indy and and that sounds that sounds like a a reason for teams to stay away from Boogie who's still out there I mean potentially, also just to- potentially and and the fact that Boogie just can't really play anymore but 
I was just going to say, like, have you seen Boogie lately? Like, I, there's nothing in his Houston stint that suggested to me teams should be in a hurry to sign him. He wasn't terrible. He just can't be on the court for more than, like, four or five-minute stretches because he's slow and out of shape. He's still skilled. He's, the skill is still there. He can still stretch the floor for you. He just can't play a ton of minutes. Can he stretch the floor for you? Like, is is any team worried about him on the perimeter? He has no gravity. His percentage is terrible. Like, he is strictly to me, like, he is a big body who can set big screens. He can, he's a pretty good passer. He, like, he's a smart player, knows where to be. But, like, all the stuff that, like, they shot 34% to be able to do this year like, in Houston. He shot 34% from three in Houston. Yeah, he had, like, he had a few. Yeah, I mean, but that's the His thing. His field like, goal percentage was horrendous. He shot 38% from the field. Yes, but the, he's shooting 34% on completely unguarded threes. Like, he, like, I watched those games. Like, he had a few games where he went off, and it looked nice. But by and large, like, teams do not care. They are willing to ignore him out there. And on the block, he used to be able to just, like, bulldoze guys. And he just, like, he's still strong. But he has such little lift at this point. And it's like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that he cannot have a job in the NBA. He, I think he can. But as far as getting minutes for a contender, like, I mean, we're already questioning whether or not LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin and, like, you know, th- these buyout guys, like, are they going to get – and Drummond, like, are oh, they going yeah. to get minutes – in important playoff games. Like if we're asking those questions about them, there's no way DeMarcus Cousins is going to get minutes in like an important moment for a good team at this point in his career, which sucks by the way, because I miss the old DeMarcus Cousins, but like sure. the, the version that we saw in Houston, man, like it just, he had some moments, but by and large, like it wasn't, it wasn't super encouraging. Yeah, it's, and it looks, I mean, it seems as though most teams agree with you because the way it, like when that all went down, when he got bought out from Houston, the way it then went down was it was like Boogie and the Rockets have agreed to part ways so he can find a better situation. But apparently that was probably less true than Houston just doesn't want to play Boogie anymore and they want to give all the minutes to Christian Wood, who's clearly in their future plans. Well, I mean, Christian Wood ends up missing like 18 games and they lose every they single lose every one single of them. One. And that <laughs> didn't like... It wasn't just Christian Wood. Like, they right. just, it wasn't, I think they went into it hoping that, like, this could be a mutually beneficial thing, and it became pretty clear pretty quickly. Like, you know, you're trying, you're working, but, like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be a fit for us. And I think also part of it was, like, they had the intention of being, like, a good, respectable, competitive team this year. And that's what, like, you know, if, if John Wall was in the final season of his contract, like, I don't know that he's on the roster either, but he's, he's not. Yeah. So right. like, so it's, it's a little bit different, but I just, I don't think they have a ton of use for um, veterans on expiring contracts at this point. Hell, even if, if like Eric Gordon was in his last year of his contract, I don't know if he's even on this team. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just, it, it, it was no longer a situation that made sense for a guy like him. Yeah. Um, before we talk about the three games from tonight that we're going to talk from Sunday night that we're going to talk about, you mentioned OKC not buying guys out. 
And this is something I'm interested to hear your take on because they announced that OKC announced that uh, Al Horford will be inactive for the rest of the season. Uh, he will not play, but he will stay with the, he was, he will be on their team and that after the season, they'll figure out what's best or figure out a different situation for him, for his future. My initial take on this is, and, and I think yours is going to be different. So I'm interested to hear my initial take on this is like, I don't understand how a team who is playing competitive basketball is allowed to just have a player that is their best big man, regardless of how Moses Brown is playing right now. Al Horford's the best big man on their team. They are playing competitive basketball. They just shut down the best player or they have their best player on their team is actually out with an injury for a while. Now they're going to shut down Al Horford and make themselves less competitive it just so happens that this oh. team has 40 draft picks over the next four. It just seems strange to me that they're allowed to just sh- shut down a player that makes them a better team in the midst of being a competitive, not, not a good team that's winning a ton of games, but a compet. they're, they're better this year than I think anyone thought they would be. And it, it just, the, the timing of it is all weird that they're in the back half of the year. Now all of a sudden, none of their good players are playing and they have all these draft picks that need to sort of, I mean, they're not all their draft picks, so this doesn't necessarily impact all of them, but I, I just don't understand how the league allows them to just shut a player down when the whole thing over the past few years is how do we curb tanking? How do we fi- fix the tanking thing? Well, well, I mean, who is this bad for? It's just, it, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's bad for the, I mean, why not, why, why not buy him out? Why can't, why are they? Because he has like multiple years left on his extremely expensive contract. And he, like, that, that would not work really for either side. I don't think Horford wants to all of a sudden be a minimum guy. He would have to give back a lot of that money. Um, Like, Blake made a financial sacrifice to do what he did. Uh, Look, this was going to happen like with like 15 games left in the season or something. Um, It does not really make sense if you're this kind of team and you already know that you're going to try to trade this guy in the off season to play him in these games and risk injury, I don't think it made sense from Horford's perspective to do that. Um, what sped it up is what you mentioned. It's the Shea injury. Shea's healthy. This hasn't, this wouldn't have happened. Like it, it, it would happen later, but it's not some sort of coincidence that these two things happened at the same time. Shea's injury changed the calculus. It meant this team, that we both agree has been super fun, has overachieved, like has had in a big way. Has had a I mean, I don't know if we looked at it right now, if it would still be so, but for a large portion of the season, the starting lineup had a positive point differential, which is like kind of crazy. And Al (laughs) Horford was supposed to be terrible. Al Horford had a lot to do with that. Um, Mm. George Hill early in the season had a lot to do with that, but then he got hurt and now he is a sixer. Um, and then obviously Shea is just like the coolest player in the NBA and I love him and everybody should love watching him and the Thunder should be extremely excited about their future. But as soon as Shea gets hurt, like it's not that team anymore. The team that you're talking about being surprisingly fun and like maybe going to the playoffs and all this stuff that doesn't exist. So now you're talking about parading Al Horford out there for these meaningless games 
with, you know, like Lou Dort and like Poku. And I just, I like, I love Lou Dort and I love Poku for very different reasons, but I don't see the point. So this makes sense to me that this is best for all parties. I don't think Al Horford is upset that this is happening. I think if Al Horford could choose to be on this team versus for this team to have found a way to trade him or for the Sixers to have traded him somewhere else or for the Sixers thing that he was excited about to have worked out better. Sure. Of course. But I don't think Al Horford's upset that he's not playing tomorrow night. I don't think I, I mean it more like from a standpoint of they, it, it, to me, it's just like, I understand that it's best for them for them in their future. And Horford, it, it is what it is. He either is going to be there or he's not going to be there. But if they told him they wanted him to play, he would play. If they told him they don't want him to play, then he won't play. It It's basically announcing to the league that we're trying to lose. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, was anybody in the league confused about that before this? Like, I mean, there were states. Everybody knows the Thunder. I mean, they they traded George Hill. Um, they are they have all year been playing a second unit that is mostly composed of guys who are like at best on the fringes of the NBA. Uh, they, I mean, I think they just very obviously like they have done everything that a tanking team would do. They happened to win a few more games than the average tanking team, but everybody knew the score all season long, all season long. Everybody knew they were going to try to trade their veterans. They were unable to trade Al Horford and then Shea got hurt. Mm -hmm. So this is the result, but I don't like you're saying they're sending a message to the rest of the league. Like there's nobody in the NBA who's like, Oh, they're not trying to win. Like, well, but on. I'm saying, but I guess I'm just saying it's more like they were, they've been, I understand that Shea changes the dynamic and makes them a worse than they, than they, I mean, he's their whole team at this point, but what a guy gets hurt. I feel like for a lot of other franchises, if a guy got hurt and they just were like, all right, we're, we're just going to stop trying other franchises would get looked at differently. It just feel like, OKC doesn't get looked at the same because the intention coming into the season was for them to be bad. They played better than expectations. And now it's like, okay, well they were supposed to be bad from the beginning. So it's okay that they're not playing, that they're not going to try to win. They're going to, they're going to sit one of their, you know what? It's just like a, it's a weird sort of standard, right? Like coming into the year, everyone was like, well, this team's going to be terrible and they're intending to be terrible. Look at the team they're putting out on the floor. They overachieved. So now they're, they're benching, what their second best player on their team. And it's like, well, they no, were never the whole thing be, is if they was healthy, be... they weren't going to do this yet. They were going to do it right at the end of the year, which is normal. Like it is normal at the end of the year when you're getting close. If your season is going nowhere, if you have a veteran, especially if you're probably going to trade him, but just if you have any veteran with like knickknacks in their body, you just sit them like that. That's how it works. They just did it early because Shea got hurt and it didn't make any sense to like, have this guy continue to go out there with this group of young dudes who is like, they're actually like how they perform this season will make a difference between like in terms of their development, in terms of how the thunder value them in terms of like where their careers go from here. Al Horford is Al Horford. We have seen enough this year to know like (laughs) he is still a good player. 
he is not as bad as he looked in Philadelphia not because close, yeah. the, that was a fit thing, which I think most smart people said that last year. Mm-hmm. And the numbers even showed that when he wasn't on the court with Embiid, he was essentially the same guy. Um, like, I think this season has been actually helpful to Al Horford's reputation in that sense. It was not helpful enough that anybody wanted to acquire his like $29 million salary, whatever it is. But yeah, how many, it was helpful. It, what is, next year's his last year, right? Not like after this year, he has one more year? No, he has two more years. Jeez. The, the, the last year is not fully guaranteed. Um, but yes, he has, he has two more years. Oh, yeah. Um, he has 27 next year and then 26.5 the year after. Yeah, but the 26.5 is, is not fully guaranteed. And there are some incentives there based on like if you make the it's, finals uh, or you 14, win the championship. Yeah, like 14.5 guaranteed and then... 19 and 19.5 guaranteed if they it says if if philly but if they make the finals if whoever whichever team he's on yeah yes um and then i I think if they actually win the title if al horford wins a championship next year he's getting all of his money i think is the other (laughs) incentive in that deal um i don't know what team he'll be on but it's possible possible um i just yeah look i i understand that it it looks weird i am just very personally against getting upset about things that look weird like I just don't know who is like genuinely upset about this because I don't see who like who this is bad for. Um, but that that's just me. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I do because uh, all of it is right. Like you're right. Like it doesn't hurt Al Horford. It doesn't hurt the thunder and everyone assumed the thunder were going to be bad. I just, there's just like a perception thing to me that it, the, there's been like over the years, trying to at least make it seem like teams are competing even when they're not and just like benching a guy that's one of your best players just makes it clear that you're not competing even though they were going to do it at some point anyways it just seemed it's just a it's It's just sort of a signal i just think it has always made sense for teams that are bad to prioritize development and prioritize giving their young guys minutes so yeah but you don't have to you can tanking is tanking is not like Oh, they're going to go into this game and they're going to tell our guys like we want we don't want you to play hard. We don't want you to play with passion. We want you to lose. Like they they're going to try to win with this team. They're just going to be too bad to win. Which <laughs> well, is, exactly. Yeah. Which I mean... is which is perfectly fine. Like this is how the league works. And like if anything, like I mean, the NBA should be like quite happy if there all these rule changes were to prevent tanking like they have basically worked there was there were much fewer sellers of the trade deadline and i don't think that that is unrelated to the fact that you have this play in tournament um and then uh, i also think there has been a trend basically since the lottery odds changed um to where teams are not tanking as hard like teams do not think we have to be absolutely the rock bottom because it doesn't make a difference if you are if you have the worst record in the nba or the third or fourth best record it doesn't matter anymore so i think tanking has gotten less extreme in the last few years it has gotten particularly like almost pretty much absent from the nba this year so to make a big deal out of this one team doing this one thing it feels like sort of like missing the bigger picture story here which is that hardly anybody is tanking so like let's let these guys do it like let's let the thunder do their patient plan like they had to 
trade everybody away. They're in a small market. They're, they can't lure guys in free agency. So they're doing a thing that is like very painful and very difficult. And I actually respect the hell out of the front office for doing this like extreme, like we're going to get 34 draft picks. Like I, I think it's awesome. And I love watching Poku, even though he doesn't know what he's doing half the time. He's, he's great. So I mean, I mean, he's an interesting player there. That's a whole, well, I'll bring you back. We'll have a whole other podcast about the 37 draft picks in in the next six drafts conversation. Cause that's a whole, that that could take us down a whole other wormhole. Um, But we should talk about the, the, at least the games that we watched tonight, particularly Aaron Gordon's debut. But before we get to that, I want to talk about blue wire hustle real quick. If you uh, like, if you're looking to start, your own podcast and you're not really entirely sure how the process works or what you want to do. There's really no better place to host your show than blue wire hustle. It hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, it's the perfect place for you as part of the program. You'll receive personal cover art Q and A's with blue wires, top podcasters access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show published out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all this for $15 a month, which is the same rate that any other hosting site would charge, but that's just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just list, than just listening to me or us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that is bwhustle.com slash join. All right. So talked about it off the top. Aaron Gordon makes his debut for the Denver Nuggets. Um, Obviously, his career in Orlando is unbelievable. underwhelming to a lot of people the fit maybe not always right that team kind of one of those like mediocrity treadmill teams for a long time wasn't really sure what where his career is headed he gets a new start in Denver and I'll tell you like just seeing him on the floor in a Denver uniform before that they even tipped I was like damn I'm pretty excited for what this team looks like right now because I was like he just brings something to that start, even to that starting lineup that obviously Jeremy Grant kind of brought, but even at his age and his potential, there's more there. I like there was something there. And then he looks good in that lineup, man. He looks like he's going to bring a whole lot to that team that they are, they desperately needed. It made me so happy to see him in that uniform, even though I, I got to say, I don't love the number 50 thing and his explanation being oh, like, the dunk contest thing. He, yeah. He has the most fifties. Yeah. I mean, I could have done without that part, but I have, I mean, I have been as kind of excited for him to get a new start as anybody. I've been talking about them, like the magic potentially trading him for like four years now. Um, It finally happened. This is the first time I've ever seen Aaron Gordon play in a non-terrible NBA offense. It's the first time I've seen him play with multiple guys who can get, you like 20 points um and honestly like the last few weeks since they've like committed to the mpj jamal Jokic thing like they've all been averaging 20 points they've they've been incredible together their offense has Mm -hmm. been nuts and you just you slot gordon into that you tell him to run the floor you tell him to cut hard to the basket you tell him to shoot basically open in rhythm shots and nothing else 
and it's your your life just gets a lot better. He's a really good finisher. He's a, I mean, he maybe has lost a little bit of the athleticism that he had when he came into the league and it was like the most athletic human being I've seen in my entire life. But like when you start at that point and you lose a little bit of it, you're still an elite NBA athlete. And he obviously is. Um, so, to, you know, to see him cutting from the corner, like go, running off a Jamal Murray screen and getting a pass from Jokic and throwing down a reverse dunk to then see him cutting in from the wing and making a short jumper from, from Jokic and to score on the break and like all of this stuff, like it's beautiful. It's what I think anybody who cares about Aaron Gordon's career and who has wanted more for him, like this is what we have been hoping for. This is what we have wanted when putting him into fake trades over the years. And he, I, I just think it's one of these rare trade deadline scenarios where like, he needs the team just as much as the team needs him. It is a, an absolutely perfect fit on both sides. They have been desperate for a grant replacement. It's not just grant that they lost. They lost Tory Craig. And now you have Aaron Gordon who can switch on to almost anybody in the NBA. And he will have more energy to fully commit to defense because he is not being asked to do much of anything as a playmaker. And I watched his, you know, Zoom conference yesterday and he was saying all the right things in that regard and about how he wanted to guard all the best players in the league and how excited he was about this situation. And I mean, like, you know, we'll see. Like, it has been literally one game. I've watched, like, I mean, I full disclosure, I stopped watching like halfway through the third quarter so we could record this. Like, I have seen he not even a he, full Aaron Gordon game. Well, he didn't even um, play in the – like, they were the, it was such a blowout. He ended up not even playing – in the then maybe after, I have seen the, one full Aaron Gordon yeah, game, but it was like 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah, he only so, played 20 minutes. So yeah. Sure. But like, but like, you know, it I think it, it is an adjustment. It is very different from what he is used to. Um, he is the fifth option on this starting five, which he has not been for a while. Um, I don't even know if he was the fifth option as a rookie, maybe. Um, but like yeah, we'll we'll see how he likes this once he's a few weeks into it. We'll see how he likes this, particularly if they end up having a rough stretch, right? Yeah. But I think this is the early going, and he looked just so happy to be in that system. I was very happy to watch him play. I was happy to watch him like switching on to Trey Young on the perimeter, and Trey wanted nothing to do with him. Like yeah. th- this is a player type that they have been like in desperate need of um, for quite a while. And I think, you know, they, they were able to sort of, you know, they they threw Paul Millsap at guys. They threw Jamichael Green at guys. They threw Will Barton at, at bigger guys. They sometimes, you know, they ask Porter to take a, a difficult defensive assignment, um, which, I mean, he's long and big enough to, but like, you, you, that's just not what you want. That's certainly not what you're going to want in a playoff series. So they have a legitimate dude that can do all that stuff that Grant did, that, that Craig did. Uh, he is not the shooter that Grant was in the bubble, but frankly, like this new version of Jeremy Grant, like that, even in the bubble, like really up until late in the playoffs, like teams were not necessarily treating him as a shooter. He was taking a lot of wide open looks. Um, so like, yeah, you can see even in the first game, teams are just going to lay off of him and let him shoot. And he made a couple of those threes. He airballed one. And I think we're like the Nuggets are just going to have to live with that. Um, but they had to live with that to a certain extent with Jeremy Grant too. And Jeremy Grant made more than enough of those in, in 
the playoffs when it really mattered. We'll, we'll see if Gordon can make his fair share. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that you hit on that that make that is definitely going to be something to watch is like I think last year, especially in the playoffs, Jeremy Grant defensively was such a catalyst for that team. And obviously Aaron, they've been missing that since they lost him. And Aaron Gordon's going to be asked to step in and sort of pick up the slack in that case when he's just like these other guys, when he's 15, 20 games in and he's still the fourth or fifth offensive option, is he going to continue to be motivated to be a defensive stopper? Who's the fourth or fifth option on a team at 25 years old, trying to still find his way to be to finding his potential in the NBA. Like Jeremy Grant was never expected to be a superstar necessarily. So he sort of fit into that role and he took the challenge because he was incredible, particularly in the, in the, in the bubble for them defensively. Will Aaron Gordon continue to keep that this enthusiasm for being a lockdown defender when there's games where he only takes five shots? Yeah, we'll have to see. I think if you're looking for reasons for optimism, I would say, well, um, this is a team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year asking him to do it. This is a team with an MVP candidate already on it, um, with a guy who was dropping 50-point games in the playoffs already on it. Um, with, I mean, I think, you know, you don't think of like Will Barton as like, a star or anything like that, but I think he quite obviously could be putting up bigger numbers on another team and he's already sacrificing. So I think that sets an example for Aaron Gordon to like, he's literally the fifth option in that starting five. Like it's not fourth or fifth. Will Barton is very clearly ahead of him on the pecking order, I think. Um, and should be in ter- in terms of playmaking. Um, so I think if there was ever a situation where he was going to do it, it would be this one because it is a team that, I think fully believes it's capable of winning a championship. It's a team that has star power on it, that has just a lot of talent and has a big need for the other stuff that he does. And like, I think also it's just, it's fun to play on this team. Like it, it is not as if they are asking him, this is not like last year's Rockets acquired him. Right. Mm. And, or even like this year's Mavericks or something. And they're like, all right, you're going to just going to stand on the perimeter and you're going to just wait for the ball and maybe you'll get it. And if you're wide open, shoot it. If you're sort of open, eh, probably pass it. And like, and otherwise get your points in transition or whatever. Like, no, like he gets to be involved. Even if he's not getting shots up, like he is going to be setting screens. He is going to be cutting. He is going to be passing. He had an awesome pass, like an over the shoulder pass to the corner um, off of a short roll, I, I think um, in, in the third quarter. And it's like, you know, he was talking about yesterday on his Zoom. He was talking about how he thinks people sleep on his passing ability. By the way, I agree. He's a good passer, and he's going to get to show that he's a good passer in this system, and he's going to feel involved even if it is rare that yeah. he is able to score a ton of points. But you know what he will get if he doesn't have the, the raw point totals? He'll be way more efficient than at any other time in his career, and it will make him more valuable to other teams in the NBA because of it. Yeah. Um he actually even he initiated the offense on a couple possessions in the second half too. I where saw, he was yeah, bringing the ball up in in their elbow set. So yeah, I mean it'll be more involved. Um, all right, two other teams that actually traded with each other at the deadline: Portland and Toronto. They played tonight. Uh, Portland ends up winning one twenty two one seventeen. What were your thoughts 
on this swap because when I first my first instinct was like, and they're committing to pay Norm Powell by trading for him, and they're giving up two wing players who do similar things to what Norm Powell does. Not that they're better in any way, but they have similar skill sets. It seemed like a, a weird trade for Portland, but Norm, I mean, he didn't blow anybody away in this game. He looked pretty good within their offense. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it was an interest, a weird deal for them, but I don't know. What, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Yeah. Well, I want to preface this by saying like, I, I covered Norm when he was like a rookie. Like I profiled him that year. Like I was around all those Raptor teams. This is like not the player. Like, and I thought he was good. Like I was excited about him. This is not the player I anticipated him becoming. Like he is this dead eye shooter now. Um, every time he shoots, I expect it to go in. It seems like this year he, they, they, they just all have. Um, he has this like very aggressive attacking mentality. I think they probably liked that. Um, that you know they've every year they have teams trapping Dame, trapping CJ. And they haven't had a ton of other guys who can just go and punish that quickly. Um, part of the reason why Nurk has fit in well is because he can punish that as the, the short roll guy. Mm. Um, Norm punishes it in a different way, in a way that, you know, Trent can hit some shots, but he's not as dynamic an offensive player as, as Norm Powell is. Um, Rodney Hood can run a pick and roll. He can get you a post up against a mismatch. There's stuff he can do, but he's not – you're not game planning for Rodney hood the same way that you're game planning for Norman Powell. So that to me is why they did it. Um, the weird part, the reason why I had a sort of similar reaction to you is that like, if you would ask me, what should the Blazers be looking to do at the deadline? It would not be get turn Gary Trent into like a worse defender on the wing than they had. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they profile as a very, very good offensive team that just is nowhere near good enough defensively to hang um, when it really matters. And so to me, this made them a worse defensive team. It's not that Norm is a bad defender. Um, in fact, like part of the reason why I said he's turned out to be different than I thought is that when he came in, he was known as like lockdown guy like he was this insanely aggressive perimeter defender he's got this like six nine wingspan um i remember is the coach of the g league team at the time saying he's like an he's like an avery bradley but with more offense and it's like was that's that nick not nurse? was it nick nurse um no yeah it, it was um it was jesse mermis uh okay. nick nurse was never the the raptors g league coach he was oh, a G league coach at the rgv um but but um he has not become that sort of stopper guy. And I think he has focused much more on offense his past few years in Toronto and his decision-making on defense has been a little bit iffy. Um, so to me, that, that was just a little bit weird because it, mm -hmm. it was to me, like you make that move, like it's an offensive minded move. Um, now I will say I've watched Norm's first two games with the Blazers and that's probably the most aggressive intense defense that he's played all year. And I don't think that's unrelated to the fact that he's now, playing in a way better offense than he was playing in in Toronto. So it's just like you adjust to the role that you're in, right? So maybe it just ends up being an upgrade and my initial reaction is wrong, but like my initial reaction was the same as yours. It was just like, I don't think this is really what they need, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, a, yeah. I mean, it's like, if they, that's a team that I think probably would have benefited more from going and getting an Aaron Gordon 
right? Like that they could have mm-hmm. bolstered their front court defense, whatever. People have been um, talking about that for years. Like people were talking about like CJ for Gordon a few years ago. And like, obviously that wouldn't happen now right. because CJ has reached this level that like he's one of the best offensive players in the game. That's not going to happen, but clearly like, I mean, there Covington was sort of their Gordon move. And then Derek Jones Jr. was kind of like their Gordon, their other Gordon-like move. Except the problem is like just Covington is not the same kind of one-on-one defender that Gordon is. And Derek Jones Jr. is this like massive liability on offense. So mm-hmm. like the yeah, beauty of Gordon. That, that layup he had tonight though was crazy. Mm-hmm. That, that 360, whatever reverse. I mean, he d- yeah, he does spectacular stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I like watching him play for that reason. But I, I, the beauty of Gordon is that even though he's not the best shooter, he can be a helpful offensive player. And he is a really good, like, he's a really, like, I'd say he's an elite man defender, much more so than a help defender. I think he's he's a fine help defender, but, like, he's not the help defender that, like, Covington is, right? right? But, so, yeah, like, I think there's a reason why people were talking about that for years. And like, similarly like that, like that is just, just definitely not what you're getting with Norman Powell, but I think it's also going to be really hard to defend that this team. And maybe now you go from before where it's like, all right, in a playoff series, like you're always going to have one of Dame or CJ on the court. Now it's like, you're always going to have two of Dame and CJ and Norm on the court, which is just, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. You covered, like you just mentioned how you covered the Raptors for a long time. What's going to happen? Like what, what, what is this, where does this team go? Like, obviously it seemed as though at the deadline, they were trying to get more for Lowry than teams were willing to give up. They made those two moves to make space. It seemed like they weren't able to make any moves. Now Lowry's going to be a free agent. They paid Siakam, Van Fleet, OG. They, if they want to keep Boucher, they're going to have to pay him. But this, it, it seems like a lot of money for a team that maybe that probably is not really going anywhere, especially as good as the East has become. Like, what do you see for the future of this team? I'm, I think I'm not as down on them as you are based on the way you framed the question, because I look at it and it's like, well, you, you still have Van Vliet. You still have Ananobi. You still have Siakam, regardless of what happens with Lowry, whether they, I think quite clearly, unless they have, um, their eye on somebody in particular, they just want to use their cap space on and they think they can get in free agency. Then I think you either want to resign him or sign and trade him. Um, but I think there had to be some sort of bar that these offers had to clear at the deadline for you to be like, let's do this now rather than waiting. And I don't know what that bar was. Um, I don't know what they were offered exactly. It sounds like, um, the Lakers didn't even want to include like Taylor Horton Tucker in their offer, which like, if that's the case, then what are you even offering? Um, like, did you really expect they're going to trade the greatest player in franchise history for like Schroeder and KCP and like no draft pick and no young pot? Like I, that doesn't make sense. Um, it sounded like, you know, the, the heat offer was like no Tyler hero. So build yeah. the, Thing around Duncan Robinson, who, by the way, you have to pay a shitload of money to this summer if you want to keep him. Um, the, the Sixers offer, I never really like completely understood what was on the table. I think it sounded the, like it was the implication it was like, they like they were trying to get Maxi and Tybal, but they didn't want to give up either one well, or both or something. It, 
yeah it seemed like they they were hesitant to include everything um like <laughs> yeah. like i i'm sure their position was not you cannot have maxi and you cannot have thibel either and you can have nothing but we want him for danny green and just have danny green back because you loved him um but i don't think they were willing to s- sweeten the pot too much in fact like it's like i haven't even heard like a legitimate like reporter say that a first round pick of any kind was definitively on the table. And this is Kyle Lowry. Yeah. So if you're not getting either a young, like high upside player and you're, and you're, or a first round pick, like, what do you, like, you don't do it. And so I don't know what exactly it was, but if it was something like that, then I'm totally fine with with what they did. I don't know what exactly this is going to look like next year. Um, I think this is whatever their record is now. They are the best team in NBA history to have that record at this point in the season. They have had a completely cursed season. They started out extremely poorly. Um, Just, I think the adjustment to being in Tampa was super weird. Then they lose, uh, you know, four players, including like three of their best players, um, multiple coaches. They all get sick with COVID at the same time. They're all out. For an extended period of time, they lose all of those games. This happens, by the way, right as they were playing their best basketball of the season. Um, and they went small so they, when they started they lose, to go small. Yeah, they lose all that momentum, and now they're trying to sort of integrate those guys back in. Then they make a trade. They're like, I just, I mean, you can see it when you watch them. They have stretches where they just they look like the Raptors. They look really good, and then they just lose their mojo and like whatever like they might end up in this close game and not be able to pull it out which is what we saw tonight they could have easily won that game they didn't happen to win that game um but they did not to me look like they were somehow in a different league from the blazers or anything like that Mm. uh so you know and kyle didn't play tonight either exactly um so i i look at this and it would not surprise me if they had a late season run i think if you are a higher seeded team you don't want to see them in the playoffs. If you are a play-in team, you do not want to have to deal with this annoying-ass team in the play-in. Um, they are still just – the average basketball game is different than a Raptors game. They play defense differently. They push the pace like crazy. Uh, they have very smart, um, just very good defensive players. Um, and then you look at the numbers and you're just like, this hasn't worked. Um, but I think there's just, there are a whole bunch of reasons why the numbers have played out the way that they have. And weirdly, like some of those like season long trends that have been bad, you haven't seen the last couple of games. Like they've been awful in terms of just fouling the shit out of people. They didn't do that today. They didn't do that in the previous game. Like Siakam, like getting to the line a ton, which they've needed. Um, they have been awful in terms of giving up a ton of threes, specifically corner threes. How many corner threes did the Blazers shoot tonight? Like two, three? Like it was, it was not a lot. Like I, I don't think they played an altogether bad game. I think it was a little bit weird. I think they ended up closing the game with Stanley Johnson for defense, partially because they don't want to put Gary Trent or Rodney hood necessarily in that position late in the game right now. Um, And Stanley Johnson was actually making a bunch of defensive plays, but then like you have Stanley Johnson out there, the other team is going to ignore him on the three point line. Um, So this this is this is the life that they've been living all year when they're relying on the likes of a 
Stanley Johnson and Malachi Flynn or some of the guys they just traded and Thomas and Davis and like one Yuta of the Watanabe. Sneaky, one of the, I mean Yuta for a while was like a revelation. <laughs> no. He was like a positive story yeah, for a while. Anthony um, Edwards ended his career, I think, maybe. That I but hey, he he contested the shot. He challenged it. <laughs> he tried. Um, but nah, but like I don't I I don't have a succinct good uh, obviously it's not succinct but it's i don't think i have a great answer for you as term in terms of like what this team will look like next year i think they don't know i don't i genuinely don't think kyle knows where he's going to be um but i'm interested to see how the rest of the season plays out i think it's quite obvious they're capable of being a good team they have been a good team for quite a while a few weeks ago um when they were before the the covid stuff happened like their net rating was virtually the same as Philadelphia's um, yeah. over the course of the season. That's including their shit ass stretch at the beginning. And that's not including Joel Embiid getting hurt and being out of the, like out of the rotation. Um, so like, that's kind of crazy. Obviously that's fallen. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a very weird situation. And I, I am just kind of loath to make too many, kind of conclusions about what they're going to be based on this very weird season. Yeah. The best 18 and 28 team in NBA history. There it is. That is, I think not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Before we wrap up the, the last game we're going to talk about today was at one o'clock on Sunday, Phoenix, Charlotte overtime game, Phoenix wins one oh one ninety seven. We look, we know what, Phoenix is, we all know they're, they're very good. That is a very good basketball team. Charlotte, however, once LaMelo ball went down, everyone wondered how, what would happen going forward. They got a vintage Devonte Graham performance today. 30 out of him hits the shot to put them into overtime. Um, you wrote a, you wrote a pretty good article on CBS sports today about the, how this team, this team moving forward and what they are without LaMelo ball what was it basically the gist was in your mind, it doesn't really change things without LaMelo ball. Like what they're building pretty much stays the same as they go forward. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was a few days ago, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a column about LaMelo. Like it, this was a feature. This is like a s- story about like their season and who they are. And like, I got to talk to Cupjack. I got to talk to Borrego. I got to talk to a bunch of the players and like, uh, got to talk to Jay Triano, the assistant coach there. Um, and I just, they've been probably the single most fun team in the NBA for me to watch this season. And I wanted Absolutely. to, and I wanted to write about them. And then, you know, what ends up happening is as I'm writing the story, I've done all the reporting, like Lamello's like, I'm not going to say the season ends cause it hasn't officially ended. Uh, even Cupjack talked about that the other day. Like um, they're going to basically see how he feels um, and they're going to make that determination, but they have not ruled them out um, in terms of potentially being a part of like this team late in the regular season and a potential play-in scenario and potential playoff games. Like we might see Lamelo with this team again, but um, it's a significant injury. It obviously changes the feel for the team. Um, but I think given that a lot of what I was trying to do was to like simultaneously capture what is special about LaMelo and the impact that he's had on this team, the impact that he's had on this organization and show that it's not just the LaMelo show. (laughs) Like 
the injury almost gave me a way to drive that point home more directly and more aggressively because I think now it becomes even it becomes more important that last year their assist percentage and their passes per game are virtually the same as they are now. It becomes more important that this these good vibes and this good chemistry that we've seen from them on the court was something that actually started really when they went to this in-market bubble in September when we were all watching the conference finals and not giving a shit about the eight teams that weren't invited to Orlando and these guys were spending a lot of time together and they missed the game and all of this stuff. Um, so, yeah, like, they, when they got LaMelo, a lot of us thought this was going to be, like, they're going to use him like Trey Young. He's going to run a 1,000 pick-and-rolls a game. He's going to have the ball in his hands. It's going to be just, this is LaMelo's team and everything is going to revolve around him. Instead, he comes off the bench for the first 20 games of his career. And um, they now, without him, um, they go back to that starting backcourt that they had for virtually all of last season for the first 20 games of this year. They still have between Gordon Hayward, who was fit in as beautifully as they could have possibly hoped, and Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier, who has been the best clutch player in the NBA, and Malik Monk, who didn't play today, and yet they still came as close as you can possibly get to beating a championship contender in the Suns and who had a huge game the other night and has hit clutch shots himself this year. Like between those guys, um, they should still have enough playmaking, even if they don't have the exact same vibe as they had with mm -hmm. LaMelo. They, they also went, since I published the story, uh, they went and acquired Brad Wanamaker as just like another, basically like another insurance policy another steady hand for their team and they got him for basically nothing so like that's cool but yeah i mean i've just i have loved the vibe of this team all year long they've been my favorite team to watch from the couch and that they've been a they've been a hall or a uh league pass like go you gotta watch like especially yeah. if it's close because terry rozier this year is just i mean obviously he's not the most clutch player God, I mean, he damn, has been though, he, but he seems like, like the most clutch player in the NBA this year. I mean, Dame, there's Dame, but no, but the number, like, I mean, he actually missed some shots late today, so I don't know what they are, but he was leading the NBA in true shooting percentage in the clutch. Like, it's he, crazy. I mean, it's been he, unbelievable. It's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I'll say, like, and even like Bridges, like, clearly, LaMelo and Bridges were like a match made in heaven, but Bridges today had like five different highlight plays, one of which was unfairly taken away. It should have been an and one. I saw you tweet about that. Yeah, um, I saw you tweet about that. And that came at a very important, like pivotal point of the game when the Hornets want to run. And I could complain about that for another five minutes, but I won't. But that just to say, like, Miles Bridges is, is like, he's personifies kind of what I'm talking about here, is that yeah. LaMelo obviously, like, he enhances everything about Miles Bridges' game. Their chemistry is amazing. I want them to be on the same team for the rest of their careers. But you take LaMelo out and you can still have Miles Bridges throwing down numerous highlight dunks in the same game because the Hornets are still trying to play that same way. They still have that unselfish vibe. They still have a lot of playmaking on the roster and they're still going to be competitive without LaMelo. They've shown that. Yeah, I'll, get, I'll just say, I think I've mentioned a couple times on this show, uh, what Mitch Kupchak has done since he took over as the GM of that organization is 
it's one of the most impressive jobs that anyone is doing currently in the NBA. And no one real I don't even think anyone realizes it. That I don't even I think if you asked half of NBA fans who the GM of the Hornets was, they wouldn't even realize it was Mitch Kupchak. Um <laughs> I spent five years with that organization in the in the video room. And I don't remember one move that we made in five years that succeeded. It was just an absolute horror of five years. And I mean, I feel like every move he makes in the last three years, it they all work. That first but, season of Batum, though, man, that first season of Batum. I, Batum was the year after I left. Ah, oh, Batum was damn. the year after I left. Um, but I mean, starting with Devonte Graham and then Bridges, and like his drafts have been good. When he trade when they traded Kemba for Terry Rozier, everyone was like, "Oh, this what are they doing?" Uh, Terry Rozier is pretty damn good, and I bet Boston would love to have Terry Rozier right now. Um, I mean, just every move, the Gordon Hayward contract, everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing?" Looks great. Just every move seems to be working out. Obviously, hiring James, I, I moving on from Cliff was a sore spot for me because that's my guy. But James Borrego has been great for them. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's it's going so under the radar what he has done with an organization that basically since MJ took over has been, I mean, since the beginning, since they were the Bobcats and I was there for the last year of the Bobcats. Like it it was just an absolute dumpster fire is the word that gets overused, but it really was that what he's doing in a small market where you're not supposed to be able to build these type of, like he's building something pretty fun. If, if anything, it's fun, but they, they got enough young pieces and we'll see what LaMelo turns into that they're a pretty competitive team. I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, obviously like primarily like you offer Gordon that money <laughs> that is going to be an attractive sales pitch in and of itself, but like he had other suitors, he had other teams that were willing to pay him. Um, they sold him on the style of play and, you know, he has, you know, a close friend on staff. Ron Norad was a college right. teammate they played of at his. Or, and, at a, um, yeah, and, and they had conversations, but I mean, he also like Gordon, this isn't in the story, but like I, when I talked to Hayward, like he told me he like called up Marvin Williams, he called up Cody Zeller. Like he had long conversations with Borrego about how they wanted to play. And it just sounded like, well, this is how, like, this is how I want to play basketball. And if you look at it, like, if you look at, I mean, starting from last year, when I think a lot of people, as soon as like, just the Devante storyline was like, oh my God, where's this guy? Like, where has he come from? This is awesome. And then immediately following that is like, wait, but they just paid Rozier all this money. How is this going to work? And then it's like, oh, well, this is going to work because both of them are fine with it. Because the way the offense works is like, they all get a chance to be involved. Um, Terry Rozier happened to turn into like one of the best catch and shoot guys in the entire league. And he has sustained that this year. Um, And they just, they, it was not a problem. They got along off the court. They got along on the court. They added Gordon Hayward to that mix. They added LaMelo Ball to that mix. I think rookies aren't always the most popular guys on NBA teams, especially if they're highly touted and they are high usage guys. But LaMelo is an exception because he is this super positive, super fun, just full of energy guy who everybody loves. And then who the hell wouldn't like playing with him? 
He <laughs> I, like passing is his favorite thing to do. He is constantly giving it up. And like, he has enhanced the way that they already played. Gordon has enhanced the way that they already played. Um, so they got a lot more talented. I would say Hayward and ball are the two most talented players on the team. Uh, but they also like, they didn't have to reorient everything that they were doing. So they, they play a really fun style on offense. They play a pretty aggressive style defensively. They're not a great defensive team. They need more defensive talent. Like when, if we're talking about what they need to do in the future, like it's not that hard to zero in on like, you know, they need to improve in the front court. They need to improve defensively, but like they try stuff. They, they press a lot early in the year. They were playing zone all the time. They don't do that as much, but like they'll still throw it out there. Like they, they are an extremely well-coached team. They are a team that has, very good chemistry. They're a team that have been just so resilient and have won a shitload of these close games. And they happen to lose one today to a Chris Paul led team. And I don't think there's necessarily any shame in that. Uh, but, but yeah, man, like I'm as bummed as anybody else about not watching LaMelo, but like, I'm still going to like watch the Hornets. They're still cool. No, yeah, they're, I mean, I, again, I would, as, as cool as LaMelo has been, Terry Rozier has been, just as fun to me because I, I just I, every just, big I, shot every it's it's unbelievable every time I turn on a Hornets game it's like ah it's Terry Rozier it's a scary territory that's what we call it on the pod it's just <laughs> at fourth quarters for the Hornets scary territory uh James appreciate you jumping on with me man it's been fun um outside the NBA you can go follow him on Twitter go read all his stuff on cbssports.com and uh appreciate you coming on we'll see you next time Anything else you want to promote? Any other articles coming up or features this week that you got coming out? Um, I don't. I don't really know what I'm going to have this week. No, I just say like if I if you could read one thing, like please read my Hornet story. I worked <laughs> a lot on that. Um, yeah. I, I worked hard on that, and then you know I, I wrote about some of the stuff we talked about. I wrote about Gordon. I wrote about the Magic teardown, which we didn't really talk about, and yeah. um, I wrote about George Hill, which we didn't really talk about. So there, I have I have a bunch of stuff up on the website. Um, spoiler. I think George Hill is good. I think yeah. he will help the Sixers. That's my oh, crazy Alex, take. Alex Alex was was uh, pumped up about that. He's a big Philly guy. He was pumped yeah. when that happened. So I think a lot of Philly fans are happy with that. All right, dude. Appreciate you coming on. Everyone will be back tomorrow morning. Alex back after a long, long week off. Let's see what he's got to say about everything that went on last week. I'll see you guys tomorrow morning. Later. Later.